Picture yourself wrapped in its softness. Whether you're enjoying a captivating TV show, gathered around a crackling campfire, or cheering for your favorite football team, Minky understands your fall cravings. Our blankets are tailor-made for those heartwarming autumn vibes. With a variety of colors, they're perfect for complementing the hues of fall, as well as showing off your team pride with their vibrant team colors. And the best part? We've got sizes for the whole family, ensuring that everyone can experience the joy of cozying up in Minky's embrace. This fall, let Minky be your companion in creating unforgettable moments. Wrap yourself in comfort, share love, and relish the essence of the season. Minky Blankets, where warmth meets love in every color for every moment. Fall into one of our Minky Couture stores or visit us online at minkycouture.com. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to Carving It Up Live right here on Twitter, as well as the Carving It Up YouTube channel and the Grid Network YouTube channel. As always, I am Bryce Ed Carver. The NBA Finals got underway last night. The Denver Nuggets win 104-93. to Going to talk all about Game 1 in just a moment. Really, the key takeaways that I saw from that game last night in Denver, which was played, by the way, in front of a fantastic crowd. Uh, the Nuggets fans, obviously, they've never seen their team in the NBA Finals to this point. I think the franchise has been around nearly five decades, so this is obviously a big moment for the city. You saw the great Peyton Manning there. Uh, you saw some former great Nuggets. Nuggets there, so it was a great moment. Uh, Sean Payton was there, Russell Wilson was there, so all of Denver's best athletes, uh, you know, were, were on tap, were on scene uh, at the Ball Arena to to watch that one go down. And the Nuggets, of course, won the game. I'll talk about that game in just a moment. Also, going to get into uh, more on the John Morant situation, more on the John Morant investigation. I think more appropriately put that Adam Silver, who did a press conference prior to tip off, was talking about how he has come to a conclusion on the the punishment for John Morant. And there were a couple things that he said. We'll play the soundbite that really stuck out to me in terms of what the punishment could look like for John. I'll get into that on the show, as well as Frank Vogel, about five hours ago, hired, at least it was announced, he was hired by the Phoenix Suns to be their new head coach. I like the hire. I actually think it works. I don't think he's as good of a coach as Monty Williams is, but he's absolutely solid. The only thing I worry about is I don't know if Phoenix's issue was coaching, which I talked about when they fire Monty Williams. Their issue is a couple different things, and I'm not so sure Vogel by himself will be able to address. I'll talk about that. Another coach hiring, the former coach of the Suns, Monty Williams, got the bag, rightfully so, paid by the Detroit Pistons to be their new head man. I really like the hire for Detroit. I will explain why later in the show. And at the end of carving it up, I will predict Sunday night's game two of the NBA Finals between the Miami Heat and the Denver Nuggets. Before I get into any basketball, NBA Finals, or sports in general today, I just did. I want to take a moment real quick. You guys know uh, I mostly, uh, mo I'd say 99.4% of the time, stay totally away from uh, politics for the most part on my show. But again, you guys there's know that there's one uh, cause, there's one issue that I am 
deeply, deeply, deeply passionate about, and that's gun violence in America. I always end every show by saying, please contact your local state uh, representatives and senators to demand change for gun violence. Uh, so I'm wearing this hoodie. I've worn it before, the WNBA hoodie, uh, not just to support the league, but also that was Kobe Bryant's, uh, the what he wore to his final NBA game, he and Gigi Bryant. So kind of carrying Kobe's memory as well as honor the WNBA. But it's also an orange hoodie. And today is National Gun Violence Awareness Day. Um, so... I, I think what, what I want, sort of the message I want to to get out uh, through this uh, is that we hear about solutions, and this is why I say call you know your local you know local state leaders is that everybody has a solution to the problem. But at the end of the day, and I've talked about this anytime there's been a mass shooting on the show, that there is no one problem to fix it, or there's no one solution to fix the problem. It's a plethora of thing. It's a very nuanced issue. But can we come to the table? Can we discuss it? And for the love of God and everything that is good, could we please, could we please come to the table, discuss things, and please get some legislation passed to stop gun violence? There's going to be a number of uh, protests around the country uh, throughout the weekend. Um, so, you know, definitely, you know, however you can get involved in those, please do so. And uh, like I said, just wanted to to take a moment to to sort of spread that message today because, like I said, it is something that is – very, very, very important to me and important to a lot of you as well. Uh, so if you don't get the chance, haven't got the chance to wear orange, um, definitely don't pass up the opportunity to not just honor uh, the innocent lives that have been lost due to this issue, but also to demand change in America for a problem that is just rampant. So from that, let's get to the NBA Finals. Denver won 104-93 last night in a game that they controlled mostly throughout. Miami made a run. I was actually, and I tweeted this during the game last night, I almost put out a tweet talking about, hey, you know, like my, I always put a summary tweet after finals games, like kind of summing the game up in, you know, 280 characters or less. And all of a sudden Miami goes on this, what was it, a 8-0 a, a run to make it a 13-point game. They fought back. That Haywood Highsmith kid, by the way, not nice player. He'll definitely get more and more minutes for the Heat as the series goes on. But the Nuggets throughout controlled the tempo, controlled the game. Uh, Joker had an unbelievable performance. I actually saw this stat. Uh, he had 14 uh, assists. Uh, he obviously had 27 points, 10 rebounds, 14 assists. But the 14 assists is the first double-digit uh, dimes game that we have seen from a center in the finals since the late, great Bill Russell, which I stepped back. I was like, wow, I can't believe it's been that long. Because we've we've had, obviously, not great passing big men to the, to the, of the likes of Jokic, obviously. He's the greatest passing center we've ever seen. But we've had some good ones in the past. I was, I'm just surprised that it's taken this long for a center uh, to record uh, 10 assists, which uh, Jokic obviously did last night, uh, and then some plus four. Jamal Murray had a fantastic night, as he's done all playoffs long, averaging 27. He was one point off of his average, 26, 10, and 6. Uh, did it on efficient shooting from the field, two for seven from three. I thought Aaron Gordon had a spectacular performance, particularly in the first half, seven for 10 for the field, 16 points, got to the line, was excellent defensively. Uh, it was a team effort for Denver. And I said coming into the series, I thought the notion that, and I still strongly believe this, this notion that the gap between Denver and Miami is as big as, according to Vegas at least, as big as the gaps between the Spurs and Cavs back in 07 and the Warriors and Cavs back in 2018. I have a hard time believing that. Those Cavs teams with LeBron, outside of obviously LeBron, were garbage. Those Spurs and Warriors teams were historically great. 
particularly the Spurs and the defensive end, Golden State on the offensive end, although they were good defensively. And so I, I just thought this, I mean, Miami just took out two 50-win teams in the playoffs. I'm supposed to think there was just this, this finals accident. I mean, come on now. But I did admit, even though I picked Miami and I stick by my pick, Denver absolutely is the better basketball team. They, they, they are better. They had a they were the number one seed all season long for a reason. Uh, or number one seed, the best team in the West all season, 153 games. Jokic finished second for MVP. Jamal Murray had a resurgent year, particularly in the playoffs. And so listen, I picked Miami to win last night. And ultimately the question for me, and I talked about in yesterday's show, was rest versus rust. Which one would come into factor clearly for the Denver Nuggets? It was rest. I wondered if the 10 days off would hurt them. We've seen that with teams in the past where it's one comes off of like a grueling six, seven win series, but they come in fresh, not fresh. They come in, you know, they just play basketball. They're kind of on a, got a good rhythm going and the other team's been off for a week and it takes them a minute. Um, that never outside of early in the fourth quarter ever looked like the case with the Denver Nuggets. They clearly took advantage of the 10 days off, which is a credit to Michael Malone and the entire coaching staff and the players for obviously keeping their bodies uh, in tip top shape, ready to go uh, for game one. A couple of things that I want to look at though, I'll start from the Miami perspective. Then I'll go to the Denver perspective. I know you rarely start with the losing team, but because I picked Miami, I might as well start there. Um, so coming into the playoffs, and exiting the finals, I always do top 10 players in the NBA. And that top 10 obviously changes after the playoffs because I put, listen, I, I'm I'm of the crazy belief that for to be a truly great player, you have to validate your greatness in the regular season in the playoffs. And I, I talked about Jimmy Butler yesterday. Like, he's he's the weirdest great player that I've seen where he's really, really good in the regular season and all-time great in the playoffs. And it's like, what's his legacy going to look like? Where do we slate him amongst the top 10 players in the NBA? Because obviously his regular season peaks aren't near what a lot of guys are. Joel Embiid, uh, you know, Kawhi Leonard. But he's absolutely better in the postseason. Well, last night, folks, he was bad. Like, and if we're going to insert him into these, hey, one of the five or six best players in the world conversation, well, let's give him that same energy that we would other guys. Reality of the situation is that if Steph Curry, if LeBron James, if Giannis Antetokounmpo, if Kevin Durant, if Joel Embiid, if Nikola Jokic had went six for 14 from the field with 13 points, not gotten to the free throw line once, we would be hard on them and rightfully so. That's just that. That's just how. That's what comes with being a great player. That's what comes with the attention. Not that Jimmy Butler is the type of dude to hide from that kind of pressure. That's not Jimmy. Obviously, we we know that. But I'm seeing a lot of hesitancy in terms of criticism towards Jimmy. I'm like, eh. Listen, he's coming off of a big time game seven against the Boston Celtics. A solid, not a great one, but a solid series uh, in totality in the Eastern Conference Finals. Let's give them that same energy that we give other great players. Now. Is Jimmy as good as Jokic? Obviously not. Is he as good as Steph or KD or no? But he's in that category. He's in those top 10 guys in the NBA. We need to give him that same energy. Something else too for Miami. And we saw, and I tweeted early in the game, like, man, Miami is missing. They're not missing threes. They're missing wide open looks. I mean, Max Struess, God bless him, went 0 for 10 from the field, 0 for 9 from 3. It just wasn't his night. Like, you could tell about midway through the second quarter, he missed one a wide open three. I'm like, yeah, it's just this is not going to be Max Struess's night tonight unless he just goes in the heater in the second half, and he obviously did not. But 
I saw this. Uh, ESPN put this on Twitter uh, this morning. Okay, this is according to second, second Spectrum Stats. The Miami Heat on wide open threes in game one. And for those of you that are like, well, what classifies as a wide open three? It's if the closest defender is six or more feet away. That's, that, that's what classifies, according to second spectrum, as a wide open three. Miami shot 31%, five for 16. So again, great looks. Max Strews got good looks. Jimmy Butler uh, got, got a couple of good looks. Um, Kyle Lowry, he was solid last night. I thought he played pretty well, but he got some decent looks and wasn't able to cash in. Miami just missed shots, you know? Sometimes that happens. Uh, now, here's the good news for the Heat. They just finished a series against the Boston Celtics in which, according to the second spectrum, on wide open threes throughout the course of a series, they shot 49%. Now, do I anticipate they'll do that in game two? I don't. Making over 50% of your threes a team is really hard to do. And if you do it, you're very hard to beat. But somewhere in between, could you shoot 41, 42%? That, that, that could potentially be a winning formula for Miami, of course, if they do everything else well. But you also potentially, potentially, according to reports, could get Tyler Hero back as soon as Sunday. The early reports were saying, hey, Tyler could come back game three. Now they're saying he's testing out the hand. He feels good. He might be able ready to go on Sunday, which if he is physically ready to go, if he's not rushing it, will be huge for the Heat. That's a 20-point-per-game guy and an excellent three-point shooter. So it's not all doom and gloom for the Miami Heat. I've even heard some people in the media talk about, hey, you know, Denver could sweep. They're, they're not sweeping the series. Okay, Miami's better than the Lakers. They have more, they have a better playoff resume. They went through a harder path than the Lakers, and their best player was more consistent than either of the Lakers' two best players. And their supporting cast, they have better shooters and obviously a much, much better coach. This is a different challenge for the Nuggets. Likewise, Denver's a different challenge for Miami than what they faced. Last thing for Miami before I move on to Denver. First thing was Jimmy Butler's got to play better. I believe he will. Second thing was they were awful on wide open threes. I believe that will change in game two. And the third thing is, and Miami has struggled. This is probably the thing I'm least confident will happen in game two for the Heat, although I could, I could see them making a statement first quarter and doing so. They struggle at scoring in the paint. Now, a lot of that's due to their lack of size. Outside of Bam, they basically have no bigs. Kevin Love, you can sort of classify as that, but he's never, well, he kind of was early in his tenure in Minnesota, but he's mostly a stretch four guy. That, that's mostly been his game. So I went, and Kevin Love barely even plays for the Miami Heat in these playoffs. So, you know, you don't, you don't have to put him in that discussion. But it's a lot of guards. Jimmy Butler, Gabe Vincent, Kyle Lowry, Max Struess, uh, Duncan Robinson, Caleb Martin, you know, Haywood Highsmith, who played well last night. Like, that's, that's mostly, you know, the guys they put out there. That's mostly their rotation outside of Bam, who, by the way, sort of, I'll, I'll get to the Denver aspect of things in just a second, but you could say if you're a Denver fan, like, hey, Bryson, you know, I get Miami didn't shoot well, but Bam also played amazing. I mean, Bam, what did he give you? 26, yeah, 26 on 13 for 25 for the field with 13 rebounds. Y you'll take that any day of the week for the for, uh, for the Miami Heat if, you are, uh, if, if you're the Heat, especially how he played in the last series against Boston when he really struggled against the likes of Al Horford and Robert Williams. So if you're Miami today, there's a lot to be optimistic about. You anticipate you'll shoot better from three, but you've got to attack the paint. Folks, the Heat shot two free throws which according to ABC during the game last night is the 
record low for a team in a finals game. They shot two free throws. They didn't attack the paint. Jimmy Butler said as much after the game, like, we got we to change that in game two. Because the thing is, as great as Jokic is, and he is spectacular, who I'll get to in just a moment, he's not a rib protector. Like, you, you, you can get buckets in the paint against Jokic. I anticipate Miami could attack that in game two. Because the thing is, Jokic doesn't present those same uh, challenges, those same matchup issues that Horford, and especially Robert Williams, one of the best shot blockers in the league, that those two guys did for Boston. Or that, say, a, a Mitchell Robinson posed for the Knicks in round two, like a Giannis or a Brooke Lopez possessed in round one. If anything, the Heat should be more successful scoring in the paint in this series than any series, which could then open it up for the three-point line, for guys to you know knock down good looks from three. So again, I don't think it's doom and gloom for the Miami Heat. Spo will make adjustments, and the Heat will come out with a better game plan in game two. As for the Denver Nuggets, obviously first game in finals, uh, first finals game in their history, and their first finals win in their history. I want to talk about the Joker first, Nikola Jokic, who certainly would have a very, very strong case should they win the series, and if he wins finals MVP, for him to be potentially be the best player on the planet. Again, 27, 14, and 10. That's kind of what he's been doing all playoffs long. Averaging a triple-double, shooting <laughs> shooting darn near 60% for the field, and darn near 50% from three. Shoot, like Coming into this game, he's shooting like 47% from three. It's ridiculous what he's doing out there. Um, here's what's tough for Miami against Jokic, and here's what Denver, I think, is just going to keep going at. And I talked about this on yesterday's show. To go back and look, I said... Miami really hurt Boston when they played zone. You can't play zone against Denver. Miami, they played a lot of zones, particularly in the fourth quarter, and helped them get back in the game. Why? Well, in fairness, I talked about Miami shooting a poor percentage from three, only shot 33% from three-point range. Denver only shot 30%. Michael Porter Jr. really struggled for three-point range, two for 11. You just bet he won't play that bad again in terms of shooting the basketball. So, but if you, if again, there's a, it's like pick your poison, essentially defending Jokic and the Nuggets. If you play man to man, well, then Jokic's just going to kill you in the pick and roll. He's going to blitter him and Jamal Murray, the dribble handoff. But if you don't play it, well, Jokic can either score in the high post with that little floater he's got, or, you know, back it down. And he's obviously got fantastic footwork and get buckets down low, or he can kick it out to an open shooter. And again, that's exactly what he did against the zone. If you watch the tape, they just missed a lot of threes. So Jokic was often having to say, okay, if they're not going to make him, I'll just have to score. And obviously he's very, very capable of doing that. So that's, to me, that's the biggest concern if I'm the Miami Heat. And if I'm Michael Lone, the Denver Nuggets, keep going out until they stop me. Again, I, 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 having the type of offensive weapon that I have in Nikola Jokic why would I stop going away from that? And they really didn't all night. And if Miami, which I anticipate they will likely do most of game two, play a lot of man-to-man, okay, just go Jokic the pick and roll, dribble handoff with Jamal Murray, or what they did you know, at times with guys like Bruce Brown, with uh, uh, KCP, just do that. And then you get a mismatch down low against Jokic, and he could go to work and do what he does. So that's, that is why he is, he is, you know, I saw on a, I was watching first take this morning. They were talking about hardest players to guard. He is, 
he is one of the two or three hardest players to guard for a totally different reason than a Kevin Durant, than a Steph Curry, than a Kyrie Irving, who's got the best handle in the league. Than Giannis, who just beats you down with his, his, his pure strength and physicality. Jokic can do that. He is, after all, 280 pounds, but he's also a great facilitator. He's as good a facilitator as we've seen most point guards in the NBA. That's what makes him so special and so dangerous and what you're seeing certainly in this series because, again, outside of Bam, who does Miami throw at him? And even Bam struggled because the reality is most big struggle. AD struggled. Aiton in the second round got obliterated. And Carl uh, Anthony Towns struggled against Nicole Jokic in the first round. Like, it doesn't matter who you put on him. He's going to do what he does. That's what great players, truly great players in the league do. doesn't matter the matchup. They're still going to get theirs. And that's why I expect to come into the series, even despite picking Miami, is that I know Jokic is going to be Jokic. I have confidence Jamal Murray will continue his playoff tear, which, again, he did last night. Played very well. Hit some, I mean, just tough shots from the mid-range. He loves that little fake turnaround fadeaway shot in the, in the mid-range. It's a beautiful, beautiful shot by, by Jamal. The question is, will the others step up? Well, last night, it was Aaron Gordon. Could it be, could it be Contavious Caldwell-Pope in Game 2? Could it be Michael Porter Jr.? Again, only two for 11 from three. Could he bounce back in game two? Certainly capable of doing that. So for Denver, you should feel good about this, this win. Uh, they played well offensively, only held Miami to 93, which let me make sure, let me check, uh, is the lowest point total they've been held to since. Da, 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 da. Let's see what we got here. Okay, Miami has not been held to a point total that low the entire playoffs. So you'll take that. We think Miami's the better defensive team, but they struggled scoring last night in large part because they couldn't buy a three. Again, if they just make a few of those, if Max Struess catches in one, if Jimmy Butler makes one of the ones that he missed, he got a good look from three uh, at one point in the game, maybe we're having a different conversation today. But if Denver makes their threes only shooting 30%, maybe we're also having a different conversation. So again, the adjustments in game two, this is why this is why I talked about yesterday why I'm so excited for the biggest reason I'm excited for the series is the coaching matchup. Because Spoh's the best coach of the league. I think we pretty much agree on that. Michael Malone is proving what I've said for a long time. He's really good. He makes adjustments. He's the first coach ever to lead his team to back-to-back -back series with a 3-1 comeback, which they did in the bubble. So what will Denver's adjustments be? Curious to see that. Got a comment here from John Rivera. What's up, John? John, he was on the show yesterday. They not winning the championship, LOL. Denver got this. Okay, so you, you think it's John? John thinks it's, it's a wrap. That's what I'm, That seems to be the overwhelming consensus that I'm seeing today. It's like, oh, it's series is over. Well, at the end of the day, Denver did what you want the home team to do in game one of the finals or of any series for that matter. They took care of home court. But if they, lose, if they lose game two, well, all of a sudden, eh, momentum sort of shifts Miami's way. We talk about Denver hasn't lost a single game at home in the playoffs, and that has continued. Miami's only lost one, and it came with two-tenths of a second left. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, my, ba my bad. I'm so sorry. I, that's, that's incorrect. No, they lost game four against Boston. I'm sorry. My bad. Got to check myself there. But the coaching matchup's going to be really interesting. I'm excited to see that. But, and again... I talked about also with Jokic yesterday, and then I'll move on to the Frank Vogel hiring by the Suns. I talked about too with Jokic is that 
he won't be in the top five big men of all time. I, I, forget big men because that would include guys like Duncan and, you know, great power forwards, uh, uh, Moses Malone, uh, Dr. J. Just talking strictly centers. He won't be in the top five centers of all time with a win and a finals MVP, but he'll be knocking on the door. He'll be in line. You know, he'll he'll be, you know, he'll be walking up to the front door, you know. Well, the admission quite to get in now. If if let's just say Denver won back to back titles next year, I'm getting too ahead of myself because they've only won game one. But if they won back to back titles, it's like, oh man, this is with his skill set. Because again, we've never, ever, ever seen a center quite like Nikola Jokic in terms of doing it to the level that he does it. Again, I think of Sabonis, Namanis Sabonis' dad, who was a really good player uh, back in the day in the in the nineties and early two thousands. He's a similar guy, but he's his peak was never to Jokic's peak. Some of that's because the game has changed. Uh, I think Sabonis would have been a great fit in today's NBA. Uh, but like I said, he's he's one of the most unique players that we've ever seen. Uh, almost, you know, he reminds me of I, I don't know this may this may I'm doing a cross sports reference. Maybe this is going a step too far. Call me out if it is. He almost reminds me a little bit of Shohei Otani. Where it's only time will tell will Shohei, but will he change the game in terms of being a two-way player? Being an ace and being a massive threat at the plate. Whereas with Jokic, yeah, big men score. They rebound. They don't pass like that, obviously. And 14 assists, I mean, that's, that's kind of what he's done all playoffs long. It's what he's done for the majority of his career, certainly here in his prime. I don't know. I, I just I, I think it's a really it's a really interesting way to look at it. Um, so a couple of coach hirings. I'll get to one and then a couple segments after this, I'll get to another. Uh, first one, Frank Vogel today, hired by the Phoenix Suns to be their new head coach. Uh, he has signed, I think, a, a, uh, over $30 million uh, plus deal to, uh, to go to Phoenix. Uh, let me make sure I get the deal right. Cause I want to give, uh, I think Woj and Shams both reported it as they usually do. Yeah. So. Hold on. Shams had the terms of the contract, if I can pull this up. Okay, Shams reported earlier today that Frank Vogel has signed to a five-year, $31 million contract. So certainly got the bag, no question about it. And he will be the new head man in Phoenix. This will be his fourth destination. Uh, He coached in Indiana, in Orlando, and obviously most recently with the LA Lakers winning a championship there in 2020. Now, I have been, I think, one of the bigger Frank Vogel defenders out there. Check check the tape, a show a year ago, last April of 2022, when the Lakers fired Vogel. I said, Vogel's not the issue there. Like, the roster sucks. The roster does not fit. The roster is old. Seemed like Charles Barkley was the only other person in the media willing to say that before the season started outside of me. I called the Lakers season two years ago, and that's pretty much what it was. Vogel won the issue. Again, you, you, if Vogel, Frank Vogel's a chef, you're giving him the ingredients to make a great steak, but asking him to make, you know, pumpkin pie. It's like, well, I, I don't have the ingredients to make pumpkin pie. Like, you're asking me to do something that is literally impossible, that Phil Jackson couldn't do, and Red Arbach or, or Popovich or, heck, coach us in the finals today, Eric Spolstra. Probably couldn't pull off. Expecting me to do it? He's often been. And and you know, Frank, again, Frank Vogel is 
we have categories like this in all sports, in all in all walks of life, really, but we'll we'll keep it to sports where Frank Vogel is like the I don't think he's this good of a coach as compared to the player. He's like the Jason Tatum of coaches. There's a good chance Jason Tatum will probably, I could be wrong on this, four or five years from now, I could come on the show and say, hey, I was wrong about this. But there's a good chance Jason Tatum will probably never be the best player in the world. He is 25, so we'll see. He's not even his prime yet. Good chance that probably won't be the case. He'll likely never be to the level of a Giannis or a, no, 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 no. Tatum's a bad comparison. Tatum's a first-team All-NBA guy. Jalen Brunson. J- Jalen Brunson's a better comparison. Frank Vogel is the Jalen Brunson of coaches. Where Jalen's the best player on a, on a team that goes to the playoffs, and they're really good. Knicks mates of a second round. They push Miami six games. And it certainly appears today like the Knicks have a pretty bright future if they could build this franchise around Jalen Brunson. But Jalen's never going to be a guy to the caliber of a... Let's talk about guys around his age, like a De'Aaron Fox, you know, or a Luka Doncic. He's never going to be to that level. But you could build around him. You can win with him. Like Dak Prescott or Derek Carr. Like, you can, I think with the requisite pieces, you can win a title with those two guys. But Dak or or Carr's never going to be Burrow. They're never going to be Mahomes. They're never going to be, in all likelihood, Jalen Hurts. They're not going to be Trevor Lawrence. No question about that. They're not going to be Aaron Rodgers. That, to me, is Frank Vogel. If you're expecting him to be Spo or Pop or Steve Kirk, that's not him. But, I mean, he did take the Pacers to -to back-to-back Eastern Conference Finals one year against the 2013 Heat, who I consider to be, dare I say, one of the 10 to 12 greatest teams ever. I mean, that, folks, that Heat team won, like, what was it? Like, 27 straight games or something crazy? I forgot what, how many games they won in a row. It was something nuts. That Heat team was awesome. And that was, like, peak, peak LeBron James. That was actually his final MVP season. And the Pacers took the Heat seven games. The next year, they took the Heat, who were as good, but they took them six games in the Eastern Conference Finals. Goes to Orlando. Well, Orlando's no good. They have no offense. To Orlando had no talent back in the day in the years that he was there. Goes to the Lakers, championship-ready roster. What do you know? They won the title. Year two in L.A. LeBron gets hurt. AD gets hurt. At that point, there was a hard ceiling for the Lakers. And they hit it when they lost in the first round to Phoenix. AD went down that series. LeBron was dealing with ankle ankle problems. And Phoenix was just a better basketball team. They made the finals after all that year. And then the final year he was in Los Angeles, again, the roster construction made Zero sense. LeBron is at his best when he's got shooters around him. Outside of Malik Monk and Melo for the occasional corner three, who was a three-point threat for the Lakers in 2022? Nobody. LeBron was capable. You know, he could knock down three from time to time, but you got like Rondo, who they moved on from, and DeAndre Jordan, who they also moved on from, and and uh, obviously Russ, we know he's never been a good three-point shooter, and neither is AD. That's not his game. Trevor Ariza, who was old. I mean, come on. Like, you really thought Frank Vogel or anybody was going to win with that roster? So I like the hire by Phoenix. I don't think he's Monty Williams, who I'll talk about later on the show. I don't think he's quite necessarily the culture builder that Monty Williams is. But he's a type of coach where if you give him a ready-made situation, 
He's pretty successful. Here's the issue, though. I don't think Phoenix's problem is coaching. Never did think it was coaching. Now, did Michael Malone, in my view, coach a better series than Monty Williams? Yeah. But I think it's also similar to the other Western Conference semifinals, Darvin Ham versus Steve Kerr, where I thought Darvin Ham outcoached Steve, but Darvin had more horses to play. He had more cards than Kerr had. Similar situation. Phoenix could not win. Check their playoff wins. They could not win unless Book was shooting like 70% and KD was giving you 27 to 32 points. They couldn't. If both of the both of them, couldn't be just one, if both guys weren't awesome, they couldn't win. CP3 went down in game two of that series, never came back. DeAndre Ayton, who was already a liability as is, went down, I think, in game five, I think it was. And at that point, you're relying on Torrey Craig and Landry Shamet, Cameron Payne. Like it wasn't, they didn't have a bench. Now they gave most of that up to get Kevin Durant, which I still defend to this day. It's Kevin freaking Durant. If he wants, if, if Kevin Durant wants to come to your franchise, you do whatever you can to get him. He's that type of player. But this offseason, and I said this the second Phoenix's season ended, I said the very next day on my show, that's what they got to address. They've got the two guys who can lead them to a title. They absolutely do. They've got to build the role players. They've got to add role players. There's plenty that are going to be available this offseason. I don't think the answer, because I've heard, hey, could Phoenix maybe move Chris Paul and DeAndre Ayton in like a sign-of-trade type situation for like a Zach Levine maybe. I don't think that makes sense. In today's NBA with the new CBA in, in effect as it is today, you don't need three stars to win a championship. You need two. KD's obviously a superstar. I think Book is absolutely certainly in that discussion. And put the requisite role players around them. If you do, yeah, Phoenix absolutely can win the championship next year. They're absolutely a threat in the West with Denver, with the Lakers, with Golden State. They're absolutely a threat. So I like the hire by Phoenix. I, I disagreed with the decision to fire Monty Williams. But Frank Vogel was a good guy to replace him with. My, my first choice would have, been, would have been Nick Nurse, but he was hired by Philadelphia. So he was off the table. Frank Vogel, I like it. I think it makes sense. So, but again, I, I never, never for one second thought the issue with Phoenix this year was coaching. They didn't have, they didn't have enough horses to, to, to ride. They didn't have the requisite role players. They have got to add that this offseason. Whether it is a sign-in trade with DeAndre Ayton to... Remember, Indiana almost got DeAndre Ayton last offseason. They came that close, and Phoenix, in a move that really surprised me, decided to, um, to retain him uh, because he was a restricted free agent. Could you move him for a Miles Turner? For a Buddy Heald? Who seemingly every, every time we talk about... This guy, Malcolm Brogdon, when he played for the Pacers, every year we talked about available point guards. Hey, Malcolm Brogdon, you can maybe go get him. And Boston ultimately did. Those two guys in Indiana make a lot of sense for a team like Phoenix. Miles Turner can space the floor as a big, but he's also maybe the best shot blocker in basketball. And Buddy Heald's one of the best shooters in basketball. Do you keep Chris Paul as more of a facilitator when his, he's getting older? His body is not as reliable as it used to be. He's not the impact player he used to be. He's more of, let's be real, kind of a role player at this stage in his career. Do you restructure his contract? A lot of big decisions for the Phoenix Suns this offseason, but I don't think coaching is going to be the issue. 
I like the hiring of Frank Vogel. I think it makes sense that they've just got to put the requisite pieces around Book and KD. John Rivera, Frank is a good coach, but they should have hired someone else. Aside from like a Mark Jackson, you guys know I, I've, I'm a big Mark Jackson guy. I was a Warriors fan. Who else was out there? Again, Nick Nurse. Again, Nick Nurse would have been my first choice, but again, he went to Philadelphia, so that's off the table. By the way, his number one assistant went to Milwaukee. I mean, who would you hire? Doc Rivers? Now I'm, I'm taking Vogel over Doc Rivers any day of the week. Like, I, I don't know. Unless there was like a hot assistant out there that everybody was high on, I couldn't really see that working. Uh, Patrick Brown, the 2013 Heat. Yeah, thank you, Patrick. 2013 Heat went on a 27-game win streak. It came to an end versus the Bulls. Arguably the best Miami team in franchise history. Uh, yeah, 100%. 100%. Patrick, the streak ended in Chicago after a WWE-type game, which Miami couldn't combat, but Miami had the last lap in the first round in, in route to winning the finals over San Antonio, a series against the Spurs in which Kai, Kai to me, the top three clutches shots in finals history. You could you could say Jerry West half-court shot for sure would be in that discussion back, back in the day. To me, the top three clutches shots in NBA in finals history. Ray Allen, number one, because, bro, you're down three. You have to have a three to send the game to overtime. You are five seconds away from your season coming in, and he doesn't make it. He swished that thing. I mean, nothing but net. Beautiful shot off the offensive rebound by Bosch. Tim Duncan should have been on the floor in that possession uh, for the record. Uh, that number one, Kyrie shot number two, as much as it pains me to say as a Warriors fan, and MJ shot 98 at three uh, to, to beat the Jazz because I, I, I believe to this day, if MJ does not hit that shot, I don't think the Bulls win Game 7. I don't. I, I think Utah would have beat him in a Game 7. Which, people forget, that actually would have meant the, heat, the Bulls would have blown a 3-1 lead in the series because they lost Game 5 to get to a Game 6. Uh, because Scottie Pippen was, was beat up. Jordan was playing like darn near 45, 46 minutes a night. Rodman was at the very end of his career. Like They needed every single point Jordan gave him in that Game 6. And like I said, I think that's the third clutchest shot. Uh, in NBA Finals history. But Ray Allen's, because if Ray Allen misses, you lose a championship. Simple as that. Whereas Kyrie's, if you miss, well, maybe you get it. Maybe the Warriors don't score again. Yeah, it was the most brutal four and a half minutes of my Warriors rooting life, which was Clay hit a layup with 432. I think it was 432 left in the quarter, and we did not score after that. Still, still haunts me to this very day. Still haunts me to this very day. Uh, oh, okay, good point, Patrick. I kind of hoped that Phoenix would have hired Ty Lu, uh, would have lured Ty Lue. That would have been the ideal head coach. But Vogel is a safe hire for now. Question is, can he get the most out of the Suns roster? Well, again, getting the most out of rosters has never been his issue. One thing about Frank Vogel, you you can always count on. If you have the requisite pieces, they'll be a great defense. The thing is, Phoenix couldn't stop anybody. They faced the Clippers in the first round. Kawhi went down after game two. Or he went down in game one, tried to gut out game two, didn't play the rest of the series. There's no Paul George. Russell Westbrook, who played tremendous in games two through four, was awful in game five. Awful. He bookended it. He was terrible in game one, terrible in game five. And that sucker was tied with two minutes left. With Book and KD playing awesome, Westbrook playing awful, no Kawhi, no Paul George, and the game was in doubt with two minutes left. Phoenix couldn't get stops, and Phoenix didn't have enough guys to ride with KD and Book. 
That's the issue. Vogel's getting the most out of talent has never been Vogel's problem. Again, I'm I'm looking at I'm looking right now at his at his uh uh wins per season. So when they got to the conference finals, they won 49 games in 2013. They won 56 in 2014. Uh, then he had a couple of down years in Indiana. Paul George was hurt in his defense, uh, but came back to the Lakers in the pandemic uh, season, 152, 142 with a beat-up roster, and then obviously only 133 because the, the roster was, was was garbage. Let's be real. It wasn't good. The pieces made no sense, as I keep bringing up. But good hire by Phoenix. To a more serious topic, the elephant in the room. John Moran. What's going to happen with him? What's the punishment going to be? Well, yesterday in a press conference before game one, we got a little bit more insight into what a punishment for John Morant. Obviously, we all know the video, getting in trouble, waving a gun next to his head, second time that this has happened in a two-month span, what the punishment could be. We got more insight on that in a press conference by the commissioner of the league, Adam Silver. Take a listen. In terms of the timing, um, we've Uncovered a fair amount. Um. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Uh, of additional information, I think since I was still asked about the situation, I would say we probably could have brought it to a head now, but... We made the decision, and I, and I believe the Players Association agrees with us, that it would be unfair to these players and these teams um, in the middle of the series to announce the results of that investigation. And given that we're, of course, in the offseason, he has now been suspended um, by, his, by the Memphis Grizzlies indefinitely, and so nothing is, would have changed anyway in the next few weeks. I, it, it seemed better to park um, that at the moment, at least any public announcement. And my sense now is that shortly after the conclusion of the finals, we, we will announce the outcome of that investigation. Okay. So there's a lot to unpack there, and he elaborated on that you know, more. I just wasn't able to fit it into a clip uh, that would have fit for, uh, for the show. A few things to address. So... And Brian Windhorst, the great Brian Windhorst on ESPN, brought up a point that I think is very, very significant. Commissioner Silver mentioned the Players Association. Unless it is a very... Now, the NFLPA is a little bit different, but unless it is a very serious situation, NBA PA is almost never involved. Never. The fact that they were involved in this suspension as heavily as Adam Silver is alluding to, that's a sign that John Morant's going to get the hammer dropped on him in terms of a, of a suspension. Another thing you brought up, and this is this is kind of the thing that everybody you know stuck out to everybody at the very beginning of that soundbite, where he said that we've uncovered a bit of new information. It's like, oh, so they found they found something else. Is it related to the gun incident? Is it related to Jaws' well-being? I don't know. Again, 
and I, I never got a chance to touch on this on the on the show. Uh, but this this was I remember when it happened. Gosh, was it? I guess it was a week ago, right? Yeah, it was uh, May twenty fourth when this happened. So yeah, ba- basically a week ago when Ja put some kind of I don't want to be too high. I don't want to be you know exercise too much hyperbole, but kind of concerning, kind of disturbing IG stories. So he put a picture of his uh, of his little sister. He said, and on, on the Instagram story, congrats, baby girl, live yours. He then put a picture of him and his mother, and the caption, love ya, ma. The next caption, he and his dad, love ya, pops. And then the last one, him with his daughter, you the greatest baby girl, love ya. And the final story was just a picture of him from behind. It said, bye. Now, Memphis police actually went and did a wellness check. Uh, with John Morant, because seeing these, it was like, wow, that's because we've seen incidents, we've seen situations rather, where a public figure has put things on social media that would imply that they might be right about to harm themselves. That kind of resembled what John ja was saying in these IG stories. Kind of resembled that type of language, and so rightfully so, everybody was like, kind of concerned about him, really concerned about him. Now, some have speculated, hey, is this jaw trying to win a sympathy vote? I don't know. I've always been somebody who, when it comes to one's mental health, I've always been one like kind of step back and like, okay, that's that's everybody's own, you know, personal journey. Does the bit of information that Adam Silver Adam Silver alluded to, does that have to do with anything similar to this? Because the this incident came about what two weeks, yeah, about two weeks after, about a week and a half really after the IG live, the second IG live. So you have that aspect to it. And and finally, and I think Adam Silver is one hundred percent right on the money. And I I remember talking about this aspect of the punishment for Jaw. On the show when he first got in trouble, when, as the commissioner pointed out, the league suspended, I'm sorry, the Grizzlies indefinitely suspended John Morant. The last thing the league wants to do or wants to happen is for this to overshadow the playoffs or to, in this instance, overshadow the finals. This is the pinnacle. This is the peak. These are the best two teams left. This is the NBA championship. And like he said, it'd be disrespectful to the Denver Nuggets, to the Miami Heat, for this to be the story. And so they're going to wait till after the series is over. That definitely. Listen, if it were a a five-game suspension, a 10-game suspension, they'd have put it out. Come on, they would have absolutely put out, uh, you know, that John Morant was going to be, it was going to be gone for uh, five to 10 games. He'd be back in mid-November, early to mid-November, and it'd be business as usual. To me, and I don't want to speculate too, too much. I don't know what the league has found. I'd be very surprised if these IG stories, Ja's well-being, did it come into play. Because Ja, as we found out when uh, there was a wellness check, this was just Ja Morant's way of announcing that he's taking a break from social media. 
Well, if you're going to take a break from social media, then just say so. That's what most people who do take a break from Instagram, Twitter, whatever, they say, hey, hey, guys, I'm going to take a break from social media. You know, I'll come back when I feel I'm in the right mind space to do, the right head space to do so. Okay. That's not what John Moret did. So, as I've said and will continue to say, I wish the kid the absolute best. The the worst thing to happen in sports is for an athlete, particularly a young athlete, to have it all. Again, John Morant, because of the suspension, the first go-round at the nightclub, lost $39 million because he didn't make the All-NBA team. A lot of it's because he didn't play enough games. And some of that was because he didn't play enough games, the production wasn't on par to the other guards who did make the list, who didn't make one, any of the three All-NBA teams. If $39 million doesn't wake the kid up, the heck will. So I absolutely, again, I wish John the very best, I think. And Jaws talked about before as well. He talked about this in the interview with Jalen Rose during the first suspension. That... He said, I need to find, I'm paraphrasing here, but he, he said, I need to find new ways to cope with stress than what I'm doing, whether it be nightclubs, whether it be guns, whatever the case may be. And then again, you see him, obviously, IG Live, same thing with a firearm. To me, not only does the NBA need to drop the hammer in terms of a suspension, but they got to do at least help. You can't, I mean, you can't legislate entirely, but in my view, they need to do, they need to at least do their part to try and help Ja, the man. Ja Morant, not Ja Morant, the superstar player for the Memphis Grizzlies who can jump from here to Mars. Not that guy. That's, that's, that's second concern right now. Helping Ja Morant, the man. I mean, listen, we see often in, for example, uh, you know s certain things in our political system that are just in place to either punish somebody, it's really just to punish somebody, and that's it, and not to address the actual problem. Adam Silver, from what I've seen, seems like like the type of commissioner to not just be worried about how long Jaw's away from basketball. It's what's going on with Jaw when he's away from basketball. I wouldn't be shocked if some like serious counseling therapy. I don't know if the NBA has the power to to put down that sort of thing where John would have to, you know, attend sessions or whatever the case may be. I don't know if that's the case. That's again, according to the commissioner, the decision's already been made. So it's just a waiting process. It's just wait till the finals is over and we'll see. I wish John the very best. Listen, I, I've <laughs> I've been very um Vocal, let's say, about my disdain for the Memphis Grizzlies as a franchise. I never want to see a kid throw away his future. Especially for something like this. And as I suggest, well, as Kenny Smith, great Kenny Smith on, on TNT, as he suggested. And I never thought about it this way, and I talked about this a few weeks ago when the incident first occurred, that... Is Jaw? we talk about, oh, Jaw's hanging around with the wrong people. Jaw's, you know, he's got to cut certain people off from his life. Are we sure that, sure, that could be true, but 
is Ja the type of dude that you don't want to be hanging around with and not necessarily the other way around? Could two things could be could, could two things be true in that regard? I don't know. Wish him the best. To me, NBA, you used to not only drop the hammer, but also in that process, in the time that Jaws away with whatever suspension they, they hand down, how do they help him address the real issues at hand? That, to me, is what's going to be very key to me and what I'm going to be seeing when these punishment comes down. But the fact that Adam Silver alluded to the fact that the Players Association was involved in this and that they'd like come to an agreement about it tells me all I need to know. We'll see. Got some comments here. Let's see. Wow. Patrick says, I believe Ja will be suspended a full season. With Adam Silver being articulate, it was best to wait until after the finals. Johnny needs to understand his actions have consequences. John needs to look at the man in the mirror and make a change. This has become exhausting by the week trying to dissect his erratic cryptic messages. For the sake of his career, a change of scenery is needed to grow. He's embodied the city's culture and the face of Memphis. Taking a break from social media is one thing, but to post cryptic messages in sympathy is a warning. As someone who's battled mental health for years, this was very alarming. I take sabbaticals, but not in a cryptic way to inflict harm. It feels like Ja is crying for help, but is afraid due to his inner circle who is pressuring him to be someone he isn't. Well, to address, because one of your points stuck out to me, Patrick, and I saw um, I saw Kendrick Perkins say this on ESPN. Let me see if I can find it here. Uh, yeah, you, you, at, at the end of this the second comment by Patrick, he says, for the sake of his career, a, a change of scenery is needed to grow. I heard uh, Perk say this, and I've alluded to this as well, like, Memphis is one of the absolute last cities in America that John needs to be doing what he's doing. The last city in America. Again, I read I read the stat on the show a couple weeks back. Memphis is second in America in gun death rate. Second only to Baltimore. So, Perk, I don't, I don't, I didn't see. I, I only saw the sound bite. I don't know if Perk brought that. Some anything along those lines up, but Perk brought up the fact that may, man, maybe Johnny should be a different, be in a different city, different change of scenery. Where listen, there's danger everywhere, there's crime everywhere. We understand that, but certain certain places more than others. Memphis is one of those places. All we can do is wait and listen. I have been as big of a Adam Silver defender as there is he's he's made certain decisions like the new again i think i hate the new cba hate it um there's been decisions certainly in the past i disagree with but i think overwhelmingly in terms of the well-being of the players in terms of the health of the league overwhelmingly has done a fantastic job done a fancy and one thing i'll i've always given um i've i've criticized roger goodell in this regard because I, I think goodell's a tremendous commissioner but the the big weakness, certainly in my view, and I've heard a lot of other folks in the media talk about it, is the consistency in regards to the suspensions that he lays down, where different facts are brought to the table about what a player maybe did or didn't do, but the suspensions look completely different and completely 
uh, what's I'm not I, I got the word in my head, but I'm losing it. Um, not disproportionate, but the suspensions are inconsistent with the crime or the alleged crime, and the NFL has really struggled with that. The NBA, overwhelmingly, so has been has done a pretty good job at, with that. So, if there's any commissioner in American sports that I trust to make this decision, to consult with people that he trusts, people within the league, the players, it is Commissioner Silver. Uh, Again, I think it's going to be half the season. That's what I think. Uh, could be more than that. All we can do is wait and see. Moving on from John Morant to the Detroit Pistons. Didn't think I'd be talking about the Pistons uh, during the NBA Finals, but uh, here we are. So, uh, for Detroit fans, it's been a it's been a long few years. I think it's, I think it's fair to say the Pistons this season uh, finished dead last in the Eastern Conference, only winning 17 games, which was 10 behind, second to dead last uh, with the Charlotte Hornets, who won 27. So very much a down season for the Detroit Pistons, but they got a bit of good news. According to uh, multiple sources, uh, Monty Williams, former Suns head coach and a former head coach in New Orleans as well with the New Orleans Hornets when CP3 was there, and the uh, uh, Phoenix Suns as well. And he was with the New Orleans Pelicans uh, before that, coaching Anthony Davis. Uh, he has agreed to a six-year, $72 million deal uh, to become the Detroit Pistons' next head coach. By the way, that is the largest deal of any coach in NBA history. So, Monty Williams is one of those, just from a personal level, Monty Williams is those type one of those guys where if you don't like him, you're the problem. Like you, there's no, as eh, some folks like him and some folks don't, if you don't like Monty Williams as a person, then you are the issue. It's like, I always use the, uh, in, in, in pop culture and maybe this is biased because she's from my state. If you don't like Dolly Parton, you, my friend, actually, you're not my friend. <laughs> you are, you are the problem. Okay. Come on, man, man. Dolly loves everybody like that. I use, I, I call it like the Dolly Parton scale of like. If you're on a certain like pedestal where you've been you've done so many great things for so many great people, you're beloved. If you don't like him, you're the issue. Monty Williams is one of those types uh, of guys and coaches without question. And what Monty Williams does and what the Pistons absolutely need and why I think this is a fantastic hire by the franchise. He is a culture changer and a culture builder. Look at the Phoenix Suns when he hopped aboard in 2019. The Suns, I could be incorrect on this, but I'm I checked. I'm pretty sure I'm right on this. The Suns had not been to the playoffs in, I think the number was nine years. It was eight or nine years, almost a decade. And in most of that run, they didn't come close. They were, they had a couple of years. They made like an interesting, like a little push towards the end. Overwhelmingly, they were bad. Like the Phoenix Suns highlight of the 2010s, after the 2010 Western Conference Finals when they lost to the Lakers. The Phoenix Suns highlight of the of that decade of the 2010s was in a loss. Was when Devin Booker dropped 70 on the Boston Celtics in a game that in terms of the standings meant nothing to Phoenix and they lost the game. That was the Suns highlight. Monty Williams hops aboard. In one year, they're kind of in playoff contention. They're making a push. They're good enough to qualify for the bubble, and they go 8-0 in the bubble and come that close to making the playoffs, weren't able to, to jump Memphis or Portland. The next year, they add Chris Paul, and they're two wins away from winning the NBA championship. Last year, 65 wins. 
Obviously, the season came to an end in dramatic fashion, not dramatic fashion, in uh, embarrassing fashion to the Dallas Mavericks in a game in which they were down 30. Was it, was it 30? It might have been 40. I don't know. They were down huge at the half. I think, I think it was 30. And then this year, and Monty deserves blame for this, even though the roster wasn't good, they were not supposed to win that series. That's why I picked Denver to win the second round. They were down 30 in the closeout game six at home as well. But Monty's a culture changer and a culture builder. And on a team like Detroit, who's got a ton, a plethora of young players, he's the perfect fit. Again, you're talking about a, a number of guys. Kay Cunningham, who was the number one overall pick two years ago. They added James Wiseman, who my Warriors took second overall in 2020. You've got the kid uh, uh, Jaden Ivey, who's uh, I believe still on the roster. You got Jaden Ivey. You've got uh, well, what's the kid's name? Uh, they still got Isaiah Stewart. We'll see if he's he stays or not. Uh, Marvin Bagley the third, who was you know like the 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 bust of a draft that was as good as we've seen in 2018, the draft that had obviously Aiton went number one, but you had Luca, you had Trey Young, you had, I think, no, Fox was drafted the year before. I'm sorry. Who else was in that 2018 draft? I don't know. I'm totally blanking. Anyways, the 2018 draft was stacked. Marvin Bagley went second to Sacramento and was a complete bust. He's in Detroit now. Can Monty get the most out of him? But Detroit is going to have a lottery pick, top pick in this year's draft. Not the top pick, but a top pick in this year's NBA draft. I think fifth is where they're at, if I'm not mistaken. So they'll take one of the lottery guys. This is a very deep NBA draft. Not just It's not just, obviously, Wimbanyana, who's going to go to San Antonio. You got Brandon Miller from Alabama. You've got uh, Scoot Henderson uh, from the G League. You got plenty of guys uh, in this draft that are incredibly talented and who Monty Williams can help develop. And what I love, too, again, the contract, according to Shams, is, uh, is six years, $72 million. The six years means they're giving him patience. They're giving him time to develop this young talent. Again, we have to remember where the – now, in fairness, at least right now as we're sitting here today, Detroit does not have a player. We can talk about talent all we want, but as productive as Devin Booker was uh, with the Phoenix Suns uh, all those years ago. Like, that's just that's what it is. It's not as productive, not as talented. So we got to be – you know, but – Still still a talented young roster. Uh, still makes sense in terms of what he can help develop there. I like the hire by Detroit. Uh, sorry, folks. I accidentally uh, I spilled my Gatorade. My goodness. Just making sure it doesn't get on my computer or my, uh, or my mic. Let's see. We got a, got a towel or something? Yeah. Let's see. This is live, live podcasting, folks. You got to take care of problems on the fly. You know what I'm saying? All right. Just get that cleaned up and out of the way. There we go. Got to have my Gatorade on tap, but it's the first time I knocked it over. I can't believe that. It took me, it took me too long. It took me too long. Or t- t- I'm surprised it, it took this long because I'm, I, I talk my hands a lot. I get very, very emotional, very excited. But all in all, I think the Monty Williams hire makes sense. Now, do I think they'll be in the NBA Finals in 2025? No, I don't. But it makes sense. Uh, okay, so there you go. Let's see. Hang on. See, I'm just make sure it doesn't get on uh, the mic or the computer because that would be very, very bad. Okay, so last topic for today's show. Uh, game two of the NBA Finals tonight, up tonight, Sunday night at 8 Eastern, 5 Pacific time on ABC. 
uh, between the Miami Heat and the Denver Nuggets. Let's see if we can go and get the background music going right now. Oh, hold on. We got a comment here. Got a comment. Oh, my man Parnell. What's up, Parnell? Parnell says, it's a good hire. He can help Cade and Jaden Ivey, potential playoff team in the next couple of years. Yeah, and, and the thing is, look, the East today, and I've said this throughout this season, the East today is deeper than the West, I believe. Uh, again, you've got the only team among like the top five or six in the conference that I think is just dead in the water in that they are in, I call it like sports purgatory, sports hell, where you're good. Philadelphia is good, but they don't suck, so they can't rebuild, but they're not good enough to win a championship. That is the absolute last place you want to be in sports. You want to be awesome, preferably, or you want to suck. And so you know what you got to address. Philadelphia is, is in neither. They're right in the middle. They're stuck in the middle, and they're kind of screwed for the moment. Everybody out else out east, kind of that top six. Again, Milwaukee, they'll be back next year. So will Boston. Uh, Cleveland's going to be better with the young talent they have. The Knicks will be better, in my view. Uh, Atlanta, we'll see. Miami is Miami. They're going to be in this position year in and year out uh, to con contend for titles because that's what they do. That's that's heat culture, and that's why they're in the finals today. Uh, Toronto's going to be in a rebuild, so you take them off the board. Uh, yeah, sure. Why? I mean, now, I'll, a team, a young team I also like out east that's rebuilding is Orlando. Um, uh, I think that, what's his name, Bancaro? Paolo Bencaro, who I was a little skeptical of at first in the draft, but his development thus far, again, rookie of the year this year, what he averaged, like 20 or something? Let me check his stats. I think he averaged like 20 a game this year. Hang on, Paolo Bencaro. Where is he? There he is. He averaged 20 a game his, his first year in the NBA. With seven rebounds, by the way. So I think the kid has unbelievable talent. And something else I liked about Paolo, too, I think I talked, I may have talked about this last summer, is that... He's a type of dude that talks about leadership. Young dudes don't talk about leadership. So that's a big like, oh, okay. So he's he's willing to embrace that role. Now, actions speak louder than words. We got to see it first. But Orlando was was solid. They, I mean, there was a time where like, hey, they could maybe, maybe sneak into the play-in tournament. Uh, so, you know, you give them props where it's due uh, in that regard as well. So I like Orlando. And because of the higher Monty Williams and the young talent they have there, again, three young Potential stars, Jaden Ivey, Kate Cunningham, and James Wiseman, they could be a solid team in the future. But I think that's the perfect coach for this situation. Like I said, NBA Finals Game 2, Sunday night, 8 Eastern, 5 Pacific time on ABC. The Eastern Conference champion Miami Heat and the Western Conference champion Denver Nuggets who hold the 1-0 in the series. As we predicted to. There we go. So, Denver in this game already. Again, they were big favorites in game one. I came... Oh, it was such a heartbreaker. I came that close in game one to to to, uh, to Miami covering uh, for if I were a bet man. Because what was Denver favored by? Like, uh, minus nine and a half. I took the heat and I took the heat to win outright. So, obviously, I took the heat in the points. And, gosh, they could have just made a couple buckets there at the end. I'd, I'd, have, I'd have been right on that one. But it is what it is. You win some, you lose some. That's what makes sports great. But uh, Denver in this game, already big favorites, just like they were in game one, minus eight and a half. So Vegas is all over the Nuggets today uh, and in game two. Here's what I'm looking at, sort of alluding to what I said early to start today's show. Both teams have adjustments that they need to make. So for Miami, and that's who I'm primarily focusing on because they were the losing team. They are the team that's most ex expected to make the adjustments. 
offensively, I'm sorry, uh, 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 defensively, are you gonna are, are you gonna throw the zone at Joker that much? I could see them throwing it out to start the game potentially, where the Denver shooters weren't good in game one. Again, they only shot like 30% for three. MPJ him, by himself shot two for 11. They struggled as a team shooting from beyond the three-point line. That's why the zone was effective. But again, it is a pick-your-poison where Jokic against the zone can kick it out to the shooter, but if the shooters aren't got it, doesn't have it going, he's like, okay, I can just shoot this eight-foot you know, float shot, and I make those you know, 75% of the time. On the other hand, if you play him straight up, if you play him man-to-man, well, now it's just a dribble handoff with, with Murray and Jokic. Just go pick and roll over and over and over. So that's that's the thing for Denver that I'm just going to keep doing that, right? Run the pick and roll if they're playing man to man, and just have Jokic consistently on the high post, like around the free throw line if they're in the zone. On the other hand, if you look at Miami, the one thing I would be shocked, genuinely shocked, if we don't see this in the first five or so minutes, is that they don't get, dare I say, six to eight free throws. They shot two total in game two. I'm sorry, in game one against the Denver Nuggets. Two free throws in total, which I believe tied uh, or, or broke the record for a finals low by a single team. They were not aggressive. They did not attack the paint. If there's any series Miami who struggled to score in the paint all playoffs long, if there's any series in which they could attack the paint, it's this one. Because if you look at the first round series, Milwaukee has two amazing rim protectors in Brook Lopez and Giannis. Second round, a guy like Mitchell Robinson's a good rim protector. West Eastern Conference Finals, Robert Williams is an amazing rim protector. Al Horford is capable. Jokic, as fantastic as he is in the offensive end and serviceable as he has in the defensive end of the floor, that's not really his game, you know, being a shot blocker. So you can attack that. In Miami, I am ready to guarantee it today, will shoot better from beyond the three-point line. Again, I read the stat off earlier. They shot 31% on wide-open threes. That will improve. Max Struess will not go 0 for 10 and 0 for 9 for 3. There's a potential Tyler Hero could come back. If I'm Denver, I'm sitting back and saying, I know what Joker's going to be. He's going to go for another, you know, I'm going to say Joker goes for a 29-point triple-double. You know what? No, a 30-point triple-double. Joker drops 30, 12, and 13. 30, 12, and 13 for Nikola Jokic. But I think Murray isn't quite as good. I can see Jimmy taking him a lot to start the game and to finish the game. And I don't think that Aaron Gordon will give you quite the same performance. At that point, to me, the X factor, the two X factors in this game will be Michael Porter Jr. and Contavious Caldwell-Pope. If MPJ and KCP are able to be those X factors, those different makers in terms of shooting the basketball, Denver will win the game. Here's what I think is going to happen. MPJ will be. I don't think KCP will be. Jimmy knows you do. You don't want to go down 2-0 to a team that's better than you. You don't. I think Jimmy comes out in attack mode from the beginning, attacks the paint relentlessly. The Heat shooter, the Heat players, just like they did in Game 7 against Boston, build confidence off that. Duncan Robinson will knock down threes. So will Caleb Martin, who can also get to his get his own shot in, 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 in the mid-range as well. Miami plays more confident. They come out with a sense of urgency. Yes, you know they, they want to steal home court, but Chelsea don't want to go down 2-0 to begin with. I will take the Miami Heat to make the proper adjustments and win a very close game. 
103 to 101 over the Denver Nuggets to tie the finals. Miami 103, Denver 101. They tie the series. This has a little bit of a must-win feel for Miami to it. As much as I love the Heat, and I predicted the Heat, I'm not going to say they can't come back from a 2-0 deficit. But it'll be very hard. Very hard. Against a team like Denver, who's good on the road, plays with confidence, and a Jokic and a Murray, a duo, who's absolutely feeling it right now. Put some doubt in their head, tie the series, have this thing headed back to Miami with the momentum completely flipped. Miami 103, Denver 101. Got a comment here? Let's see. Uh, Thomas, uh, am I saying your name correctly? Thomas uh, Chongsky is in the comments. I hope I'm pronouncing your name correctly, Thomas. Sup, man? First time here. How's it going? I am doing well. I just spilled my... (laughs) I just spilled uh, my Gatorade on my table here. It's not it's not uh, impacting any uh, computers or or mics. So so no like uh, you know. Now I'm not gonna get electrocuted on on live on on the show right now. But appreciate you stopping by, Thomas. And to anybody you know stopping by the show, please be sure to definitely subscribe. But uh, on that note, that is all the time we have for today's show. Appreciate everybody stopping by as always. Be sure to catch carving it up live on Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific time on Twitter as well as the Carving It Up YouTube channel and the Grid Network's YouTube channel. Be sure to like, share, comment, and take two seconds out of your day. Hit that big red subscribe button. It helps the channel grow exponentially. And be sure to go subscribe to the Grid Network. That is G-R-Y-D, the Grid Podcast Network on YouTube and anywhere and everywhere you get your podcast, be it Apple, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Google, any and everywhere you get your podcast. I'm on there, but we also have some fantastic other content creators on the network. We are continuing to build it. We are continuing to grow it. Very, very exciting. Game two on Sunday, I got Heat 103-101. I'm going to say, so I, I gave you Joker stat line, uh, 30, 13, and 12. Jimmy drops 27 on an efficient shooting percentage and gives you seven rebounds and six assists and two steals. So he comes up big in the defensive as well. I think he plays Jamal Murray one-on-one in the fourth quarter. That's why that happens. I'm going to stick to it. Heat 103, Nuggets 101. They tie the series up. So until then, I may go again. I didn't go on IG Live last night. Didn't really have time to. Needed to go to bed. Was tired. Uh, But I may go on IG Live after game two on Sunday. We'll see. But I'll definitely be back on this show Monday, 6 Eastern. 3 Pacific Time, Twitter, Carving It Up, YouTube channel, Grid Network YouTube channel. Have a great weekend, everybody. Please continue to stay safe. Please be sure to take care of your physical as well as your mental health. And please, please, especially on today, on this National Gun Violence Awareness Day, please be sure to call your local state representatives and senators to demand change for this horrible problem in America. Please do so. Uh, And certainly there's going to be, like I said, there's going to be a ton of protests uh, all around the country. If you can participate in those, please do. God bless you all. Peace out. I hope Miami ties this up. Thanks so much for watching the show on YouTube. Be sure to click that big red subscribe button and go check out the other clips and full shows of Carving It Up Live. Have a blessed day.